And with me, as usual, is Dr. Rajvans, President of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Good morning, Dr. Rajvans. Good morning. Now, more people apparently are under the weather during this hot spell. In fact, a lot of people are seeking medical treatment due to the uh, hot weather. And it's usually people working in air-conditioned places that will get a lot of nose allergies when they go outside when, where it's hot and humid. Um, do you find that is the case? And does the hot weather actually really impact our health in that way. I think you are right that, uh, you know, we do see more more cases getting admitted with uh, respiratory infections, you know, a lot of more people with allergies. So this is definitely increases during this sort of weather. I don't know whether it's because also the, you know, but you get more pollen in the air, so you get more allergies. I think infections also increase. For example, mm-hmm. during this hot weather, you know, your dengue cases are increasing. Oh, uh, right. We're getting more and more influenza cases. So now, what do you do? I suppose uh, important thing, of course, is to keep yourself high hydrated and it comes back to your immune system isn't mm-hmm. it because it's your immune systems are just cells that are out there to you know to keep you healthy to look out for the viruses or bacteria for anything else and sometimes we ourselves you know tend to not look after that when the immune system is busy fighting toxins and your own unhealthy things that are going into our body then they get weaker and that's when other things happen so i think eating right uh, eating healthy still getting some exercise i always say exercise is a nutrient itself keep yourself hydrated and uh, maybe just um, if you think you are more prone sometimes i find people who might take a short course of vitamin c probiotic some echinacea during this period might help to just build the immune system but just for the short period you can do no harm doing that all right, wonderful. In fact, I was affected by the hot weather. Uh, I was down with flu and I lost my voice. And yeah, that's last week, isn't uh, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know whether it was the effects of the radiation, whether it was the weather, whether it was Steve sneezing on everybody. <laughs> so it was hard to pinpoint, like, what was the cause of this? Probably a combination of all. <laughs> Probably. Well, coming up, uh, gene therapy is the first to halt most common causes of blindness. This is the latest out of the BBC. We'll find out how that works. That is after Celine Dion here on Light. And on HealthWise, as usual, Dr. Rajban's president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Now, this is the latest uh, from BBC Health. A woman has uh, become the first person in the world to have gene therapy to try to halt the most common form of blindness in the Western world. Surgeons injected a synthetic gene into the back of Janet Osborne's eyes in a bid to prevent more cells from dying. And this is the first treatment to target the underlying genetic cause of age-related macular degeneration. So, how does this work, yeah, Dr. Ajbans? Yeah, I mean, it's something new. You and I was uh, reading the article. I say, wow, this is something very, you know, the future, like we always used to say, you know, therapies that can cure the, you know, anything in the future. And gene therapy, definitely one of them. The other one, of course, is stem cells. So, this is, I think, they have done in a number of cases so far, I think earlier about 10 or 12. And, of course, age-related macular degeneration is the, the commonest cause of blindness as we get older uh, because cataract is the other one, but cataract is treatable, mm-hmm. glaucoma, but this is getting more common so you know there's really no real treatment but this is very exciting they actually can do this sort of gene therapy that can slow down the what you call degeneration of the you know the macula then you know a lot of patients with uh, you know as they get older will you know just prevent blindness and I tell you as you get older you know can't hear you can't see mm-hmm. you know and you already lose your you know oral <laughs> teeth it's really very depressing 
So I think it's right. very good that uh, this therapy is uh, still new. We don't know. It's still under research. Um, I don't think so. We are doing anything here yet. But uh, very promising. All these are very promising. Gene right. therapies are very promising. Yeah. Okay. What about in Malaysia? Anything with regards to yeah, progress uh, with I'm, regards to gene therapy? I'm not sure yet. Actually, I'm not sure whether there's anything going on. Nothing I've heard of so far. But there could be. There could be something going on in the universities that uh, probably just in the research stage. So it's not out yet. But uh, I think this is going to happen all over. I know that we're doing a lot of research in stem cells here. Mm-hmm. The ministry is very supportive. We're doing a number of research on stem cells. So probably even gene therapy will start soon. All right. That's wonderful news. And uh, not so wonderful, of course, is if you are young and had a hip and knee replacement. Apparently, uh, they don't last as long as we hope they would. Uh, we'll find out a little bit more about what to do after 25 years with uh, a replacement. This is right after Michael Bolton and the traffic update next on Light. It's a light breakfast with Shaz and on HealthWise, Dr. Rajban's president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Now, 8 out of 10 knee replacements and 6 out of 10 hip replacements last as long as 25 years. This is according to a large study from the University of Bristol. Uh, it's a lot longer than believe, uh, researchers say, and the findings will help patients and surgeons decide when to carry out surgery. I guess the question is, you know, what happens after the 25 years of these replacements? Especially if, say, you had to have a replacement in your 40s. Yeah, I think that's that's one always the worry that uh, you know if you have a replacement very young, and the, you know they used to tell that it'll be just ten fifteen years it will last, and then you might have to look at another replacement, and so that was one issue. Second was uh, you know as you are older, you know that surgery is not going to be more difficult. Uh, but interestingly, uh, talking to my own orthopedic uh, surgeons, the new implants actually last very much longer mm-hmm. uh, compared to the earlier ones, and looking at twenty five thirty years is actually quite going to be quite the norm. Of course, uh, we want people to also you know with the new hip their body stronger get exercise so the muscles around the joints are stronger mm-hmm. so let's say if you get it at 40 and then it's let's say 30 years time you're at 70 then you're still if you're healthy enough you yeah. still can go for another one shouldn't be an issue though it's going to be more difficult when you do a second revision right. failure rate is higher the other thing is the only two reasons why you should do a, a hip or knee replacement one is you can't bear the pain you've tried everything else mm-hmm. and number two is affecting your activities of daily living you know if you want to go for or a walk and you can't even walk and you're going to end up in a wheelchair then you have to go and get it replaced so but you can delay that if you can manage your pain with the, you know but medication and you can still maintain your normal activities yeah. or daily living then maybe you can prolong instead of 40 you can maybe do it at 50 or 60 so that then you got still another 30 years exactly right? yeah. and I think most people that take that into consideration but what happens say you're in your 70s or even 80s and you find that you may need to have a replacement a hip or knee replacement is this risky because of the age factor? Yeah, again, how healthy we, we do a lot. I, I mean, uh, in my hospital, my, some of my orthopedic surgeons even have done in their 90s today with, uh, you know, with uh, what we available hospitals actually quite, uh, we get a, uh, for example, a geriatrician will get involved with anesthetics is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do a, all the assessments before we make sure that the patient is well prepared for the surgery and with the new sort of, you know, anesthesia, everything. You know, normally, it's quite safe as long as the patient hasn't got too many medical illness. Even up to 90s plus, they have do surgeries. I remember in the UK, in the autogeriatric ward, there were really these old, old people coming with falls and fractures who were within operated within 24 hours. So, under the right setting, it's okay. But, you know, if the healthier you are, the easier it is. And the uh, chances of recovery are faster and better.
All right. Well, that's great news indeed. Coming up, having HPV is not rude or shameful, and experts say it is extremely common. We've got that story up next after Caleb Scott and Leona Lewis, and the news update here on Light. Now on BBC Health, uh, big headlines, having HPV isn't rude or shameful. I didn't think it was. Uh, apparently, it's also extremely common, according to experts, and they've surveyed some 2,000 women and shows that there are are still stigmas around the infection which can be passed on during um, intercourse and is linked to cancer. Why is there a stigma in the first place? Yeah, I think because it's uh, people are just uh, worried that it's, you know it's spread by you know contact and all that. So people you know s- suspect that you know maybe have been going around and you mm, know, being doing, promiscuous. Yeah, that's right. So that's that's the worry, and then people look down at you. Uh, but interestingly, it's in close contact with someone you know very mm-hmm. close, uh, touching and all. Sometimes can spread it, and then there different types of HPV, you know, different strains and some more uh, virulent than others. Some, you know, can lead to cancers, uh, both cervical cancer in females and penile cancer in males. So, uh, but most of the HPV, actually, if you have a good immune system, your immune system actually gets rid of it. Right. So again, back to, you know, same old record that uh, immunity, keep your (laughs) immune system strong is uh, very important. But uh, again, now we got vaccines and I think screening is again important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, women should go for their regular screening and checkups and if there is then they have to treat it or maybe think of the vaccine right now let's talk about vaccines i mean they say that you can get an hpv vaccine for boys and girls at a young age something like 13 or 14 right right. now what about older patients getting vaccinated because i I hear that i know i've read recently that um, even people in their 20s and 30s can still get an hpv vaccination what are your thoughts on this i mean if you're not infected already then you know why not you can try to do that Uh, but again the vaccine is not uh, total protection Mm -hmm. you know only about 70 percent get protected so again having a a healthy lifestyle and uh, uh, prevention again is better than cure so all that I think is uh, something that you look at so vaccine is an option but they must remember that even with the vaccine doesn't give you a ticket to do what you want <laughs> you know so right. so you still have to be very careful uh, because you know so not all get protected right okay well that's right protection is key now coming up cold water swimming will that benefit uh, ladies um, dealing with menopausal symptoms well we'll find out after Westlife and Rock set up next on light and on healthwise this morning dr rajban's president of the malaysian wellness society now there have been some reports that cold water swimming can help women deal with menopausal symptoms um, some have reported improvements in their mental health and that plunging into cold seawater as cold as six degrees celsius is helping with the effects of menopause uh, what are your thoughts on this yeah i mean this you know they talk about six degrees centigrade you know and that's that's really cold mm-hmm. isn't it and I don't know about you but if you take a cold shower in the morning you can get better well you know I find it difficult but do some of them say that you know take cold shower it sort of invigorates you and all that and that's maybe because you sort of release your stress hormones you okay. know because it's like a sudden stress to your body isn't it so you release so when you have that fight fright thing you actually feel mm-hmm. great for a short while so I suppose there's no harm maybe that's what happens to them but you have to be very careful for one is that being Asians you're not actually exposed to so much of cold mm-hmm. so I know when I go to a cold country uh, even at about 10 to 15 I'm feeling cold but I see the rest right. of them walking with t-shirts so that's right but how does this help with uh, menopause and yeah, symptoms I suppose just again your chemicals that you release when the sudden stress yeah. uh, you know so menopause you find that uh, your hormones drop and probably you do have that uh, you know your decrease in some of your chemicals so when you get a stress response imagine you release your cortisol your adrenaline non-adrenaline right. wow you know 
that gives you that good, great feeling. So you get away from that uh, feeling of that hot flushes. One will go away. <laughs> the irritability and all will feel better because when you get the stress hormones for a short period, you actually feel better. Right. The mood gets improved. You probably will release some endorphins. Uh, but again, here we have to be careful. If you're asthmatic, if you got very bad sinusitis, you got bad arthritis, you got a condition called Raynaud's phenomena where some people to cold they get blue fingers and hands. Yeah. So exposing themselves to something very cold, or if they're not used to this, they have to be careful. That's for our Asians. Because I don't want our Asians to go out there and try to put ice in their bar. <laughs> In their tubs and then sit inside for a while, it, yeah. you know, without again getting problems. Whereas there, they are probably more used to the cold. Okay. So, but no harm trying a cold shower. I think that's definitely something that could help. You could yeah. start there, definitely. Yeah, start with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you so much, Dr. Rajbans, for joining us this morning. Thank you.